ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. I'm not comfortable negotiating. I'll never negotiate. This is Jen Overbeck. And I'm an Associate Professor of Management and the Associate Dean of Research at Melbourne Business School. And a couple of decades ago, Jen was terrified of negotiations. But she decided to sit in on an MBA class at Stanford University that was all about how to negotiate. And then it was really fascinating sitting in on this class because we kept talking about things where I thought, well, I could do that. Well, that's not so hard. And pretty soon I found myself trying to put into play things that I was learning about. And then she realised something that changed everything for her. Good negotiators are not born. They can be made. They can transform. And so, yeah, it was a really transformative experience for me. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong, and in this episode of This Working Life, I'll be untangling the art of negotiation. You'll learn how to feel more confident asking for what you want, like a pay rise, and about a critical step that you might accidentally be skipping. But first, let's get some things straight. Jen, what do we actually mean when we say negotiation, particularly in a work context? Well, that is, it turns out, one of the critical things, and it's the first thing that changed my mind about negotiation, which is I always saw negotiation as conflict, as two people going at each other, one person against another. But when scholars talk about negotiation, when trainers talk about negotiation, the definition that we use is actually a joint problem-solving exercise. So whenever two or more people disagree about how to divide some resource or how to solve some problem then we engage in a joint process to solve it. And did that get you over that feeling of being terrified? Yeah, because it's no longer my self-esteem on the line. It's no longer can I have enough backbone in this battle. It's much more about can the two of us work together? Can we ask good questions? Can we listen to each other? Can we get creative? And can we find a way to navigate through the fact that we're coming at this from different perspectives to find a joint solution that works for both of us. And I really thought win-win was a bit of a myth, but it turns out that if we genuinely work together, if we genuinely collaborate and listen, we can do amazing things using the skill of negotiation. And it's in everything that we do at work, so it's so relevant. So we're going to apply this to a particular area that does make hearts start palpitating (laughs) and people start sweating. That's the area of how to ask for a pay rise. So where do we start? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. One thing that I'll say right off the bat is that for a lot of people whose hearts are palpitating and who are having trouble breathing when they think about this, people who have that trouble with negotiation are often more challenged by negotiating for themselves, and they find it easier to negotiate for other people. And so, in fact, like there is some research on some gender differences in negotiation. Um, But if you look at professional women whose jobs are to negotiate, such as attorneys or deal makers, there is no gender gap whatsoever. And one of the key things is that's negotiating on behalf of other people. Mm. So one thing that I think most people can immediately do that's really helpful is to think about 
everybody else in your life who benefits from your salary negotiation. It could be your family. It could be people who come after you and you've now established a benchmark for better pay. It could be your future self. You know, just think of it, not just I'm being selfish in this situation, but I have good reason for what I'm asking for. And look at everybody who benefits from my effort. One of the tricky parts is actually knowing what you want. So how do we prepare for these conversations that we need to have? In fact, I think that is, uh, well, it's just much harder for people to understand what they want than they think it is. So we have a vague idea. I want to be paid more. But we don't think systematically and carefully about why do I want to be paid more? What do I need that money for? Is it just pay that I need or is it something else? So when I'm talking to students, MBA students who are taking negotiation classes, of course, always come to talk about how do I negotiate a higher salary? And so some of the things I ask them to do or to think about, is it that you actually need more money? The energy rates are rising and inflation is high and you need a bigger paycheck because you just have to cover your cost of living? Or is maybe there's some part of it that's about how you're regarded, that you feel that you're not being paid what you're worth and that that signals lower value for you as an employee. And so you want your pay to be higher because you want that symbolic recognition of your value. Or there could be some really specific thing like um, you're paying off educational loans or you're trying to engage in professional development for the future. So the first thing is to understand why. And then the second thing is to map out well, what do I need exactly to meet those needs? How much of it needs to be in my paycheck? How much of it could be in some other funds that could be provided to me, such as funds for going off and pursuing education? How much of it could be handled in a non-monetary way if the company could express its appreciation in some really valuable way? So one of the things I think is understanding sort of what's driving me and what are the different ways that those needs can be met. I hear you've got a bit of a scorecard that you use, Jen. How does it work? Yeah, I do. When I'm working with MBA students, we spend a great deal of time on the skill of building a scorecard. But even if you don't go through a big training program, I think this is something anybody could do just by pulling out a piece of paper. And what a scorecard is, is it's like a big fancy pros and cons list. But instead of just a list of pros and a list of cons, you identify what are all the different issues that might come up in a negotiation. So if I'm negotiating with my boss for a salary increase, then one of my issues may be I want more money right now. One of my issues may be I want a faster sort of review cycle. I want to be able to advance. I want to know that my salary is growing. Another issue may be I want closer parking. It's costing me too much to commute and to pay for parking. It's costing me too much to go to the gym. Uh, it's costing me too much to pay for my professional development. And so there may be all of these different issues. And what I want to do is try to figure out, can I break them apart into separate issues and then decide how much each of those issues is worth to me? Mm. So what I, what I tell students to do is take 100 points and divide that among all of your issues according to how important it is. So if a bigger paycheck is the most important thing, it might get 60 points. But then the other 40 points I can divide among all of those other things that matter. And once you do that, then when you go into the conversation with your boss, you have a really good idea of, okay, 
if they ask me to give up some of my salary, but I can ask for something that's intangible, symbolic recognition instead, how much is it worth to me to make that trade-off? You know, if the salary was worth 60 points to me and intangible recognition is worth 10 points to me, I could give up a little bit on the salary and make it up with that intangible recognition. But I can't go too far because salary is still the most important thing. So having that weighting system helps you. And then because it's a full scorecard, what I advise people to do is come up with, well, what do I think our outcomes might look like Mm. and how many points would I assign to each of those outcomes? And what's an example of that? Yeah. So an example would be, look, if I am put on very high visibility projects and I get a lot of credit and I get to give a presentation to our board out of my 10 points for greater recognition, that might be 10 points. If you say that, you know, in the quarterly employee newsletter, you'll thank me, that might only be worth two points or one point, right? And so I try to think about what things might you agree to or what things might you offer me. And then I assign points to those that decrease in value so that as we're going through, I can sort of think about, here's an offer that Lisa made to me. Hmm, let me value this on my scorecard. Oh, if I add up everything that she's offered me, that really is only about 32 points. I don't think I'm anywhere near where I need to be. I think I need to keep staying in that conversation and coming up with creative ideas for her to think about and trying to push her to collaborate more with me on this so that we can get closer to a higher score, which is what I'm really after. So we've clarified uh, what my needs are and we have a scorecard and I'm very clear now. But as you said before, it's not all about me. Yeah. (laughs) Apparently. Indeed. (laughs) So um, how do we then go and start to look at the other side? Right. So the two things that any negotiator has to prepare before they go into negotiate is first, they have to really understand themselves and their own goals and needs and wants. And second, they have to develop as deep an understanding as they can of the other person. So I'd want to be doing things like, first of all, talking to my boss if we have a good relationship. So how are you thinking about my performance? Um, Tell me what's happening these days with uh, salary and budget. How do you see our division growing? What kind of constraints do you see coming up in the next year? And just get a lay of the land. You may be signaling to them a little bit that you might be talking about salary soon. If that's sensitive, you can withhold some of those questions, but you try to find out what are they dealing with? What are their constraints? What are they worried about before you go in to ask for some of the resources that they are responsible for? And then you can ask people around them. You can ask your colleagues who have gone to ask for raises. One thing you definitely, I think, want to do, and I know this is controversial advice in the eyes of business, but you want to try to share information with people about what compensation looks like. Mm. I mean, there is information asymmetry and employees are at a disadvantage when they're going and blind, the company knows everything about compensation. And if you as an individual know only your own compensation, then that gives you very little to work with in terms of benchmarking. So I do recommend trying to talk to your colleagues, both within your company and maybe in similar industries and other employers to find out what what's reasonable. What should I be expecting for my level of qualifications, my credentials, um, and my job content? What, do I, what should I have? And you put all that together to go in to be able to make a proposal that is sensitive to what the other person is dealing with in terms of constraints, that's realistic in terms of what you can expect to get, but that's also aggressive, that's 
being, you know, reaching for as much value as you can in that in that reasonable space. Should you go in with an anchor? Should you go in with a proposal? Yeah. So the research shows that if you are prepared, making the first offer works in your favor. So as long as you have done this preparation, you sat down, you've thought about what you want, you've thought about the other party, and you're very clear on what your market value is, let's say, then it's going to be in your best interest to make the first offer. Exactly for the reason you said, Lisa, which is you use the word anchor. You give a number, and that causes the other person's attention to really focus on that number. And we know that people don't really adjust very far away from that number. Even if they're aware you're doing it, they tend to be you know, kind of pulled in by that anchor point. So that's helpful. But the other thing I recommend is don't just anchor with one number, go in with a package. Think about all of those different issues that were important to you. Do your investigations of your your boss's constraints and, and interests to see what might be feasible for them and go in and say, look, here are the needs that I'm trying to satisfy. And I'm not just going to ask you for additional salary. I've thought about what are some creative ways that we can make this work so that it's really effective for both of us. It doesn't hit your salary budget too much, but it, it meets the needs that I have. And so I've thought about these five different areas, and this is the package that I'd like to propose to you. And then that right away starts them thinking about, oh, we're not just arguing over a fixed pie. It's not just one number. We have a number of things and we're going to work together to figure out the right balance. I'm Dave Wolowski and I am a career growth engineer. Now, Dave's got some advice for you when you're negotiating a salary for a new role. So I'll kind of give you a, a little script that you can use. So you might say, uh, well, so I'm aiming for the high end of what you can approve. And I know that I can deliver way more value than even that, but I am willing to be flexible for a great opportunity. I know you have a budget for the role. Uh, so do you have an idea of what that budget is? Why do we deflect, Dave? Why don't we just go out and say some crazy number that we've always wanted? Yeah, so... If you say too high, then they're going to disqualify you immediately. If you say too low, then it's going to make the negotiation harder later. And it might disqualify them for you later, meaning they might make you a low offer that you're really unhappy with and you can't kind of get back to a range that you're happy with later. I've got another one, Dave, um, and that is that question that sometimes asks, what is your current salary? Mm -hmm. What is the current salary of your job? What, how do we answer that? If you do get asked, one answer that I've heard that I really like is, so this kind of depends also. You might say, well, my current role in my current company, it's not so relevant to this situation because they have certain needs. You know, your company, like this role, it's, it's different. And so it's hard to really compare. When they've said, here's the job for you, they usually give you a salary at that point, don't they? Right. So they will usually say, here's the job, here's the salary. And they might say, what do you think? And you'll say, basically, I'm really excited. Thank you very much. I do need some time to consult with my family and just do some research on my own, make sure it's, you know, 100% uh, going to be a good fit. So can I get it in writing? Can I get back to you? I know that psychologically, the main hurdle is, gosh, I should just be grateful that I've got this job offer. And if I go in to negotiate, 
they might just take the offer off the table and that would be the worst outcome. What would you say to that, Dave? Yeah, that is the number one fear for sure with all of this. And from the research that we've done with recruiters, it does not happen. They don't take away an offer because you negotiated. The only way they would take away an offer is if the way that you negotiated signaled to them in some way that you would be not pleasant to work with. And so simply asking, like, is this the best you can do? Like, if that's all you say, like, you know, is there uh, is there any wiggle room to make this higher? Like, if that's all you do, that's nothing. That's not going to change how they see you as a, you know, a pleasant person to work with. The other thing that we've heard, by the way, which it might not be true for every company, but it almost doesn't matter what reason you give to negotiate. If you just say, can you do better? They will try. And that's, you know, it's just, it's built into the mechanism of offering jobs to people. Sounds like a magic question. Can you do any better? It, yeah. Like whatever really the bottom line is, what you are comfortable saying is the right thing to say as long as it's not, you know, too aggressive or, or arrogant or something like that, right? You wouldn't want to be like, well, this is, this is a bad offer. Like, I'm worth a lot more than this, right? That would be probably come across a little aggressive. Very helpful with the scripts. Are there any other magic sentences, questions or scripts that you can share, Dave? Yeah. So my favorite phrase for any negotiation is, what is the best you can do without putting yourself in a bad position? Jen, do you have any specific wording for a negotiation with someone you already work with? First and foremost, I think it's helpful when you go in to negotiate a salary negotiation is to spend some time before you jump into the salary negotiation, reminding each other, you know, sort of setting the stage that we are colleagues, we have a friendly relationship, I know you and you know me, I care about you as a person and I believe you care about me. So have just some casual chit chat, catch up on how things are going and let that conversation have some space. Because that by itself has, helps to set the tone for the conversation. But if you feel that you need to introduce things maybe with some, you know, formal, formal preamble, then you could say something like, I want to let you know I'm here to talk about salary. And I know this isn't a conversation most people look forward to either on my side or on your side. But I do think it's important. And I'll tell you my reasons why. I also want to be really clear that I'm here to work with you to find a solution that works really well for both of us. I'm not here to put you in a difficult position. So I'm coming in with a really constructive, open mindset. I'm ready to be creative. And I hope I can count on that from you too. In your experience, um, what is the difference between conversations like those that go well and those that really tank? Oh, wow. (laughs) There are so many reasons. I think One of the things is if somebody is very, very uncomfortable with negotiating, then that by itself can cause it to tank. So if that's you, if you're the one uncomfortable and you're going to go in to negotiate, the best thing you can do for yourself is that preparation. I promise you it's true. If I think back to myself sitting in the classroom at Stanford when I didn't think that I would ever be a negotiator, the key to that transformation for me was learning that preparation made a difference. So I would focus on the preparation. Then when I went in to negotiate, I was so focused on the preparation itself that I was not worried about what do you think of me. I wasn't getting defensive based on what you say. I wasn't getting angry. And to stress that I am not trying to 
take advantage of you or manipulate you. I have a target. I've done a lot of preparation and I'm simply working toward that target. And if we can get that to that target in a way that works for you, that's great. So you can have those kinds of meta conversations when the other party is um, is ill at ease or ill prepared, but it can take some additional investment, you know, for the negotiator. What happens when our pay rise request is declined? Do we have to leave? I think it's important to know whether it's a reasonable decline or not. Was I grabbing for blue sky because I thought maybe it was an opportunity? Did I just have an achievement and I thought maybe I can parlay this uh, into higher pay? Or had I discovered that I was being paid substantially below market and there was something to be repaired? So I think the first thing I would look at is, is this a loss situation or is this just an opportunity that I didn't get? That, that would change my mind. I think also, what was the spirit of my counterpart? Did they approach it in seeming good faith? Did they seem to express that they valued me and would like to give me a raise and they convinced me that they had external constraints that made it impossible? I'd, you know, I'd take that seriously. It doesn't mean I'd stay, but it means I'd, I'd be less likely to conclude I had to leave, right? Um, but you do have to weigh if I have gone for this and I've been knocked back, then by continuing to work, I'm saying that, all right, I'm willing to work for less than I think I'm worth. And you want to think about what that says to your peers and to your superiors. Um, and it may very well be that if you've, if you've gone for something and you're knocked back, that the, the kind of symbolic value of that is important enough that you would want to think about going elsewhere. Plus, when you go elsewhere, sometimes you can get more salary. So that's worth considering. Is it worthwhile looking at other options for when you come to your negotiations? So, for example, having a few other irons in the fire? So we use a term in negotiations called BATNA. Anybody who's ever taken an MBA class in uh, negotiations will know this term. BATNA is an acronym that stands for Best Alternative to a Negotiated Agreement. And it is essentially what alternatives do you have? So if I'm going to negotiate with my boss for a pay rise, do I have other offers? And BATNA is your primary source of power in a negotiation. When you have a BATNA, then you can go into that negotiation and say, in a nice way, I hope, but <laughs> raise my salary or else. Like, I do have other options. I can go and earn more elsewhere. A couple things about BATNA. Um, it offers a lot of power. It's very useful to tell the person that you have a BATNA. I don't think you have to use it as an ultimatum. In fact, you shouldn't unless it's a last resort. You should try to simply convey that you're coming in to give them an opportunity to retain you. You do have other places that you can go. But one thing people will ask you to do that you should try to avoid doing is to reveal exactly what your BATNA is. Mm. So they'll say, well, what are they offering you? And you should never reveal that information because it does give away your power. Because once you know my BATNA, now all you have to do is beat it by $1. And you've essentially won at what may be a very minimal level. So I may be shooting for much more with you. Um, my BATNA might be somewhat inferior to the offer I'm asking for. And I don't want to let you know that. I want you to just be competing with some unknown so that you feel like you have to bid to get me. And Jen, what's your advice to leaders and managers then when it comes to them having these negotiations? 
Well, I mean, it's similar. Be prepared. So we tend to let these kinds of issues go and just assume everybody's working for what they're paid and there's an annual budget. But other than that, we don't really think about it or want to think about it. If somebody comes in and they're asking for a raise, I want to know, is that raise that they're requesting consistent with their market value? Is this person being paid differently to other people in their group? Have they been performing exceptionally well or exceptionally poorly? I want to know about them. I want to know about the standards and benchmarks. I want to know about the industry. I want to know about my budget. And so the more I have it top of mind, the better. And Jen, final word on pay rises and negotiation? I mean, I think people should strive for being paid what they're worth. I think that um, negotiation is an invaluable skill and that people should pursue it and use it and seek out opportunities to practice. And I guess if I was going to give a final word, go out and practice negotiating in lower stakes context so that when it's time to negotiate your pay rise, you're comfortable, it's familiar, and you can just bring that skill into that discussion. Thanks to my guests, to sound engineer Tim James and to producer Zoe Ferguson, who definitely deserves a pay rise. I'm Lisa Leong. Thanks for listening to This Working Life. Next episode, how to think and work like an artist. It's part of ABC Arts Week that kicks off on September 18. So I think that we are all artists. Sometimes we forget that. We get ourselves into such a muddle about this is an arty job, this is not an arty job. Don't miss it. This episode was produced on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Until next time, work it, baby. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.